Serials 2021 is just days away. What can we see as the show returns to Boothby Grafo for the first time in two years? There'll be automation and some robots going which I think is a first for cereals. We'll talk about the UK-Australia trade deal and we'll look ahead to next week's Open Farm Sunday. All different types of farm are taking part, from arable farms, finding out how bread is made and, and the crops growing through to vegetables, fruit and, of course, livestock. Plus, of course, agronomy with Sean and a review of the markets with Kit and I'll see what the weather holds in store for us this week. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Hope you're okay. Nice to be back after a beautiful break in Somerset and then up in Edinburgh. Thanks to Ellie Codling for looking after things last week. Sadly, we've lost the Rutland Food and Farming Festival for this year. Scheduled for the 11th of July, it's joined the long list of shows falling victim to COVID with the extension of restrictions announced last week, leaving the organisers, they say, with no choice but to cancel. If you're in a Seven Trent water priority catchment area, they're offering help to farmers to learn how to improve spray efficiency. The training opportunity, which will be by way of virtual workshops, follows a successful pilot earlier this year, which saw 88 farmers reduce their spray drift. And you'll get a free set of low-drift spray nozzles through the water company's Swap Your Nozzles scheme. If you're in a Seven Trent priority catchment area, you can sign up by email at farming for that's number four, farming for water at seventrent.co.uk. And nominations are open for the Farmers Weekly Lifetime Achievement Award. The Prince of Wales, always a strong advocate for British farming, was the winner last year. And a previous winner was Leaf Chief Exec Caroline Drummond. And we'll speak about this year's Open Farm Sunday taking place next week a little later this morning. You can nominate someone for the Farmers Weekly Lifetime Achievement Award by email to alma.watson at markallengroup.com before June the 30th. The much-anticipated trade deal with Australia was announced this week. Should we be worried? Well, the NFU's expressed concerns previously. Deputy President Stuart Roberts joins us. Morning, Stuart. Good morning, Steve. Trade Secretary Liz Truss says the deal will not harm British farmers' livelihoods. So that's all good then. Do you agree? Uh, No, look, we are uh, incredibly worried about this deal. Um, I think actually the more interesting comments are when you listen to people like the the current Australian Deputy Prime Minister, who basically talks about how this deal is fantastic for his farmers uh, and not necessarily so for our farmers. The ultimate test of a trade deal is whether it contributes to moving farming across the world onto a more sustainable footing or whether what we actually do is just undermine UK farming uh, and export our environmental and animal welfare impacts uh, of the food that we eat. And I think that's where we're really worried. Very different standards, very different costs of production. And I don't see a huge amount in here for British farmers at this stage. Is the likely trade with Australia going to be big enough to cause us any problems, though? Well, I think it depends. First of all, it'll depend on what that trade is. Lots of conversation around beef. It seems to be the ones everyone's focusing on. And it'll depend what they send us. You know, we heard uh, what on the one hand sounded like reassurance from Australia that 
well, they'll only be sending us uh, high-value cuts. Well, actually, that's really dangerous because if they send us just high-value cuts in significant volumes, um, that could really damage the carcass balance trade here and could cause us real problems. So, no, look, they will be sending us some significant volumes. It's not just small amounts. And I guess this deal's likely to set precedents for other countries around the world. Every other country around the world, whether it be Brazil, whether it be the New Zealanders, whether it be uh, the countries in North and South America, they will be looking at this deal. They will be after exactly the same terms as Australia's got. Uh, so it's not just the deal with Australia. It's the precedent it sets going forward. Um, but, but there's a, another really important point here, and this has shown how Australian politicians will fight for, for their farmers. We need to see the UK government really step up in terms of our export opportunities. We need to see them promoting our products. We need to see them opening markets. We need to see some more resource in those councillors around the world. Okay, Stuart Roberts, NFU Deputy President, many thanks for joining us again. Pleasure to join you, Steve. Cereals is scheduled to be back at Boothby Grafo in Lincolnshire at the end of the month, which is great news after missing last year due to COVID. Ali McIntyre from the organisers is with us this morning. Ali, hello. Let's start with the $64,000 question. Following last week's government announcements, is cereals definitely on? Yes, cereals is absolutely on. Um, Agricultural events have actually been able to happen since phase two which was the 12th of April. At that time, there were limitations on numbers. So it was limited to outdoor spaces, I believe, of 4,000 visitors. But you can get special permission, which we did, because we have so much space at Cereals, for more visitors. So we have that special permission, and um, we're not going to have any limitations or restrictions. Which is great news, Ali. What can we expect to see and do at Cereals this year? Well, you have the crop plots, which is sort of the heart of Cereals, being able to see those and touch those different varieties and see different protocols in action. We have more demonstrations this year than normal. So you have an expanded sprays and sprayers arena, which is sponsored by Syngenta. We have inter-row weeding demonstrations for the first time. Um, an expanded direct drill area. Isuzu's going to have a test drive. We have two theaters, which have two full-day programs. I think we have 120 speakers in total. And uh, the NAAC, which is the agricultural contractors, also have a new area. This year, we actually have some automated machinery. So there'll be automation and some robots going which I think is a first for cereals. There is a company, Agseed, that is coming from the Netherlands, and they are our innovation sponsor. They'll be running some automated machinery throughout the event. So there's lots going on, um, around 300 exhibitors, which is smaller than normal, but still a good showing, I think, given that we're one of the first events in this sort of new COVID time. (laughs) And this all takes place at Boothby Grafo, a working farm. Yeah, uh, we work with wonderful host farmer, Patrick Dean, and uh, Alistair Priestley is our primary contact there. So we've had crop plots in there since last August for oilseed rape. So cereals is a really unique event in that it takes 300 days 
to build up, <laughs> if you will. So um, again, they're wonderful to work with. It was a dry, cold winter, so there were some difficulties there. And then it got wet, so some difficulties there. We're running about two weeks later than normal with cereals this year. So it will look slightly different than a mid-June event, but um, I checked in with the crop plot manager and he said all is looking good. Well, I'm sure it's going to be another great show. Boothby Grafo, 30th of June and the 1st of July. We look forward to Serials 2021. Ali, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Steve. See you soon. All you need to know about Serials 2021 and to get your tickets is at serialsevent.co.uk. And I hope to see you there. Time to accompany agronomist Sean Sparling once again on a walk around the fields. A bit of a soggy walk around the fields of late, but it is looking drier later this week. Morning, Sean. Morning, Steve. Yeah, wet old lot, isn't it? It was always going to happen, just we said last week. The longer it was hot and dry, the nearer we were going to get to some wet, but variable again. It'll do an awful lot of good for all that, though. Good because within a few short hours of starting to rain on Thursday morning, sugar beet, peas, beans, wheat, barley, linseed, apart from a bit of flat winter linseed I passed on Thursday morning, they were all jumping and looking ten times better than they did on Wednesday afternoon in that 30-degree dry heat. I was in some sugar beet around Lincoln on Wednesday afternoon and it was limp, listless and wilting onto the floor in those temperatures, but it looked absolutely stunning again by nine o'clock on Thursday morning. Um, it'll also revitalise those residual herbicides in sugar beet as well as in other crops. Um, by Friday, you could see cotyledon and bindweed, fatten, pale persicarian, nettles, pansies, poppies, cleavers, all manner of dicots and polygonums visibly affected by a newly pepped up layer of metamitron, ethofumosate, lenosilf, trifluosulfuron, methyl, etc., which has been applied 10 days before. While we're on sugar beet, aphid numbers have increased slightly, wingless nymphs being found more frequently than they were a week ago. Also noticeable are the low-flying swallows now on sugar beet and cereal fields, picking off those flying beasties, whether they're saddle gourmidge or orange wheat blossom midge, winged adult aphids, moths, etc., which hitherto have been absent, as we mentioned last week. So clearly things going on by bug and insect life uh, at the moment out here. Threshold is, as I said last week, for Mises persky and sugar beet, one wingless nymph per four plants. If the beet is less than 12 leaves, 12 leaves plus, and that falls to one wingless nymph per plant as maturity resistance kicks in. But that doesn't mean that once the sugar beet hits 12 leaves, it's safe. That means the effects of virus are less severe. So there's still a threshold to tell you if there's a chance of economic damage if they're not treated. But always work to these thresholds with IPM. Never apply any insecticide as a precautionary or routine treatment. We do have two treatments available to us this year. We have Topeki, which flonicamid, which is a pyridine carboxamide insecticide, Pretty kind to ladybirds, hoverflies and other aphid predators, unlike Biscaya, which has now gone, which wasn't so kind, but kinder to beneficials. And this is the first option and should be applied first if you require treatment. It should give you two to three weeks protection, um, allegedly. I say allegedly because in the hot and dry of 2020, we saw reinvasion and recolonisation of aphids within seven days. There is an emergency authorisation for the subsequent use of Insist or Acetamiprid, uh, but Acetamiprid must only be applied if an initial application of flonicamid has already gone on and that emu for insist expires on the 31st of July but with both Topeki and insist you need a minimum water volume at application of 200 litres per hectare 
Insist has an aquatic buffer zone as well of 12 meters and just watch these buffer zones, have a look, check the labels, make sure you're safe and you do need to print off the EMU. It's number 20210839 prior to use of Insist. Potentially this year after that cold winter combined with 25 consecutive frosts of minus three and colder, many of them throughout April. We didn't really expect to see aphid flight much before the end of May, so crops are generally better prepared this year to withstand that influx. And it won't so much be about the numbers of aphids like last year. Upwards of four million nymphs per hectare we had last year by the middle of May. And if we control 99% of those with an insecticide, that still left 40,000 behind per hectare, which was still over threshold on the plants less than 12 leaves. And that's why we didn't ever get ahead of the aphids last year. So it's not so much about numbers in 2021. It's more about the sources of the virus. There's a bit more oilseed rape in the ground this year. That's a potential source. Lots of late lifted sugar beet, lots of spoil heaps, poor control of volunteer beet in subsequently later drilled spring cereal. All of those things have the potential to cause virus hotspots. So absolutely crucial to keep monitoring these sugar beet fields. Many of my crops are now over the 12 lease stage generally. So the aphid per plant, one aphid per plant rule now applies. Uh, and then, of course, we await silver Wymoth to come. We've got that little treat to come. Haven't seen them for a year or two, have we? And before you know it, it'll be Russ, Mildew and Sacospora that we're all chirping about. What deep joy this game is, really. T3's then going on to many weeks now. Remember that if it was dry during the first 36 hours or so of anther presentation, fusarium levels should be minimal. Um, if it was wet or if this particular little spell of rain has coincided with that first 36 hours of anther presentation, then the best result possible on fusarium ear blight complex even with the perfect timing of the perfect product of prothioconazole or tebuconazole or even metconazole for all that then 50% control is about as good as it's going to get most varieties are a six on the NIAB list against fusarium ear blight but also remember that applying these fungicides after that time scale will do absolutely nothing to stop the fusarium because it'll already be in the grain and you know, if it's going to be inside, there's nothing you can do about it. Therefore, after that 36-hour period in the wet, a foliar disease top-up on Septoria tritici, Septoria nodorum, rust, microdocum, etc., that's about going to be the likely result. Seeing no aphids in cereals at all, by the way. Spring cereals, T2's going on. Watch those cut-off timings on broadleaf weeds, grass weeds, plant growth regulators we keep saying just watch the heat of the day as well at canopy level in particular and make sure you don't scorch the barley horns or that wheat flag leaf blight 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 on potatoes i'm still not educating any elderly matriarchs on how to siphon albumen from an ovum although it is the weather for it isn't it this wet may well encourage alternaria linicola as well on linseed so linseed fungicides might be worth looking at with your advisor and now's the time for those and botrytis chocolate spot mildew all of those things are going to pop up on the peas and beans so keep your eyes open on those may is growing like a train at the moment the timing of herbicides crucial obviously with so few choices so again get your plan in place all seed rape on the last run now towards harvest 12 weeks from the onset of flowering to harvest so in four or five weeks time the earliest of those crops will be getting very very close fingers crossed april's frost haven't completely emptied the pods to simon wright levels so we're seeing some blind grain sites in spring barleys from those frosts throughout April. They often look worse than they are. Bit of loose smut about in barleys and slugs moving up and down on the ears of every cereal crop I'm walking in and out of. Marvellous. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as ever, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. 
Open Farm Sunday is on next week. We'll have some advice for visitors in a moment. And Kit Dickinson's here with a look at the markets. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Next Sunday, farms all over the country will be opening their gates to welcome, inform and educate the public. Yes, Open Farm Sunday is back after missing last year. And from organisers, Leaf Annabelle Shackleton, Open Farm Sunday manager, is with us this morning. Morning, Annabelle. Hi there, Steve. Let's talk about Open Farm Sunday just a week away now. What kind of thing can visitors to a farm expect to see and do? Well, it depends on the farm. And what's fabulous about Open Farm Sunday is that all different types of farm are taking part, from arable farms, finding out how bread is made and and the crops grown through to vegetables, fruit, and, of course, livestock, our wonderful uh, meat producers. Anything from uh, a farm walk, talk, displays, the opportunity to see the amazing machinery involved. So there's lots of different things, but predominantly outdoors, so that it's COVID safe. Um, and as we would all expect, you know, there'll be lots of hand sanitizer there. And uh, we're asking uh, all visitors to respect those uh, COVID safety requirements. Now, we talked in the past about a lot of, there's a lot of misinformation in the media about farming. This is an opportunity, isn't it, for farmers and the public to really get to know each other and find out what the true story behind farming is. Most definitely. It's to get those burning questions that people have to actually get them answered and actually find out for themselves so uh yeah it's a wonderful opportunity and you mentioned about uh covid safety and so on what advice would you have for visitors if they've not been on a farm before are they going to be safe oh they certainly are Uh, events that are outdoors in the fresh air are low risk as far as covid is concerned we're um, informing all our farmers to um, ensure that there's social distancing that takes place and to keep events predominantly outdoors and of course one of the key things that's different we're all used to washing our hands but if you go visit a farm with livestock or even if you're out in the countryside walking footpaths and having a picnic in the countryside um, if there is livestock there you must remember to wash your hands so hand sanitizer is perfect for covid but if you're touching any livestock then do wash your hands with liquid soap and running water to make sure that your hands are clean after you've visited a farm or been out on a farm walk and before you eat any food which is just basic hygiene is it okay to take a dog with us it depends on the farm some farmers will allow dogs you know must keep the dogs under control and keep them on a lead people don't realize people going out into pasture land see the open fields think that it's a park where they can let their their dogs roam free but really do please keep your dogs on a lead yes i think a lot of people don't appreciate that it's not just a dog running at a sheep for instance and attacking the sheep but the dog can frighten the sheep can't it Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. We really do need people to be vigilant, keep dogs on leads. When you're walking through farm gates, leave them as you find them. So if you open a farm gate, make sure that you close it behind you and, uh, and, and res- respect the wildlife and any instructions uh, and respect the farmers that you might meet out in the countryside. I think it's important to point out as well, if uh, members of the public are looking at the website and say, oh, there's a farm there, I fancy going and seeing that, you can't just turn up. You've got to book, haven't you? Absolutely. This year, to avoid overcrowding, all events are ticketed. And so, yes, you do need to book on farmsunday.org. And we hope that you'll get the chance to 
get out for a walk in the countryside on Open Farm Sunday and just celebrate British farming. Buy some British food, go to a farm shop and just have a wonderful day. Annabelle, thanks for joining us this morning. Give us that website one more time. It's www.farmsunday.org. Annabelle Shackleton, thanks for joining us. Good luck with Open Farm Sunday next Sunday. Thank you very much, Steve. Let's hope it's another hugely successful Open Farm Sunday next week. Now, taking place this Thursday and Friday is Groundswell, the conservation agriculture show in Hertfordshire. I'm looking forward to going and I'll report back from the show and we'll talk more about regenerative farming next week. But what do we mean by regenerative farming? Here's farm business consultant Ben Adams. I'd say it's mainly a holistic approach to farming principles and practices that uh, seek to rehabilitate and enhance enhance the entire ecosystem of the farm. And that's majority through placing a very heavy interest in soil health. More from Ben and from Groundswell on next week's programme. To the markets we go now. What's happened this week? Here's Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. All about the weather this week, and depending on which weather model you follow, it will inform you of the chance of rain in next week's forecast. The European and Canadian models are much less optimistic, with the US model seemingly holding sway for the time being. If the rains do not materialise, there is a chance of a blocking ridge building during July, which would keep rain out of the Midwest during the critical pollination period. There have been some showers moving through the Dakotas, Upper Midwest and Canadian prairies, but much more is needed. Last week's crop condition report showed sharp declines in Lower and Minnesota, which would make up 25% of the US mage acreage, whilst the moisture deficit in the Dakotas constitutes for a further 10%, which would bring the USDA's record maize yield into question. The USDA report at the end of the month will be expected to add more acres, but it was rather interesting to note that the analyst who caused last month's stir by forecasting an additional 5 million acres revised it down to only 2 million. Needless to say, the revision did not have much impact as their previous offering. In the meantime, the consensus is that the Brazilian crop is going to be below 90 million metric tonnes, but for the time being, the USDA still has it at 98.5. Continuing on the meteorological theme, a Sukhovi is forecasted to descend upon Russia and Kazakhstan next week, which is a hot, dry wind which would be unwelcome in an already dry spring area, should it be verified. U.S. spring wheat areas continue to be stressed by heat and drought, and a strong wind would not help. Whilst Canada has received some showers, much more is needed. Moving forward to barley this week, a quiet week with limited interest shown from either the consumer or grower alike. Crops continue to look well with expectations for a better outcome than four weeks ago. Some very early cuts of winter barley have been seen in France, with quality reflecting good yields and retentions. However, progress has been halted by heavy thunderstorms and wet weather now moving through. New crop markets remain in a narrow range due to the lack of trade. Old crop markets have probably seen more trade this week, with replacement parcels sought as some quality issues arise on delivery. With achievable values showing a good return over potential new crop markets, if you still have parcels on farm, it would be worth getting a fresh sample checked. Oil CD rate. Weaker sentiment abound this week, participated by rumours ahead of the G7 summit last weekend that the US was going to extend the waiver programme for biofuels blending in the US and therefore has seen a negative effect to the soybean complex. This, coupled with the improved weather outlook, i.e. welcome rains in the plains and Midwest, has helped perpetuate the fall of the broader global oilseed complex, soy oil of particular note seeing a few sessions at limited lows over the week. 
Closer to home, the Matite futures have traded lower in sympathy with the US soybeans, with 43 euros being lost over the week at the time of writing. There has also been a slight upward revision to the German all-seed rape crop forecast to now 3.67 million tonnes, which would be about 5% higher than 2020. Domestic consumers have been quiet to react to the falling values with new crop prices taking futures market retreat. Old crop sees a level of support on a maintained basis, but the lack of availability and the background level of fresh demand ahead of new crop arrival is limiting movements at present. So looking forward to prices this week, feed wheat for June 198 to 200, August 164 to 166, November 168 to 170, February 171 to 173, and May 174 to 176. Milling wheat premiums for new crop are circa 16 to 18 pounds. Barley for June 175 to 178, falling back in August to 147 to 150. November 150 to 153, February 153 to 155, May 155 to 158. Malting premiums for new crop are currently £20. And for all seed rate prices this week, please do get in touch with your Openfield farm business manager. Thanks as ever, Kit. That's Kit Dickinson from Openfield. If you want to make contact with Kit, you can do that at openfield.co.uk. And he'll be back with a report on the markets same time next Sunday. To the weather now. Well, it's been a bit of a soggy old week. Is it going to stay that way? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, after a soggy start to Sunday, it's looking like being a mostly dry week, at least until Friday. Overnight rain easing through today, a light northeasterly keeping temperatures no higher than about 12 Celsius. We may see some light rain late tomorrow, but otherwise a dry day, the wind staying northeasterly and picking up to the mid-teens MPH, warmer though with a high of 15 Celsius. The middle of the week sees the winds mainly from the north in the mid-teens MPH on Tuesday, easing to calm on Wednesday and Thursday. Mostly dry with plenty of sunshine and highs back to around 20 Celsius by Thursday, ending the week calm, warm with sunshine, but a few showers on Friday. Well, that's it for this week. Back next week with a report from Groundswell, Sunday morning at 7 or whenever you want online and on the app. I'm Steve Orchard. Have a good week on farm.